Hey, you know, nobody keeps you warm like Village Vice. He's Zach Blackerby. I'm Brad Law, and uh, nice to have you with us today as we get into a brand new week. And it's a week, Zach, where Auburn fans should feel uh, excited and confident. And as you look at what's happening across the state at Alabama, you should feel like this is an excellent time for Auburn to take advantage of the transition in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, for the first time in two decades, it kind of seems like Alabama is vulnerable and actually vulnerable. Not that narrative that pops up or in you know the national college football media every three or four years, like, oh, this is the year where Alabama could fall off. No, like th this actually is a window now where things don't look like they have for the last 20 something years, it feels like. Um, because you've got guys entering the portal. You've got guys decommitting and it just, it almost feels like just from the outside looking in that it's, you know, I think being on Alabama's roster has lost a little bit of that luster, Brad. Yeah. And as I watch Alabama fill out its staff, I mean, look, this is our first show since they announced Kalen DeBoer as their new head coach. Um, we had finished recording for the day, I guess, Friday, and a few hours later, it was official. And then the names over the weekend start, started to leak out of who was going to join the staff. And uh, it would it was predictable and expected. And you kind of, you go, well, yeah, of, of course. Like, every time Auburn makes a hire, we're probably going to come on and talk about the positives behind that hire. That's probably what we're going to do. Um, they're probably going to talk about why those hires will succeed. I should have probably expected from national outlets, like because there's plenty of Alabama media outlets, like, well, nothing's like Village Vice, but you know what I'm saying, in the same vein. Yeah. So it's, it's predictable and understandable. You kind of expect it from, I probably should have expected the national media outlets to just jump all in with positivity too, because that's that's kind of what they've done with Alabama for as long as I've been alive. Um, but I have been a little surprised by it. I think there are major questions around this new staff and the expectations that things are just going to keep right on clipping along. Um, they they can't. It's not feasible. It's not reasonable to expect their program to continue to perform at the level it has been for the last decade and a half. Now, it's fine with me if if their fan base expects that, but it's not reasonable that that it's going to stay the same. Am I am I off base by saying that? I don't think so, unless you think they're going to hire the the second best coach in the history of college football right after they got, you know, the, the first one was there for a long time or retired. And I just can't imagine like the odds of that are pretty, pretty crazy. Especially when you look at the things that made Nick Saban great are not the things that Kalen DeBoer has done at a high level up to this point. He's won a lot of football games. I think he's out schemed a lot of people. I think he's really good at helping develop quarterbacks and he's won at every level that he's been at. But Nick Saban has, I mean, he had won everywhere he'd been at at the college level up to that point, but also just the relentless effort on the recruiting trail. And 
I just can't imagine Kalen DeBoer being able to recruit at the same level of Nick Saban. And I think Nick Saban kind of had a little bit of clout because he won a national championship at LSU, so he knew how to recruit the SEC. And that's nothing against Kalen DeBoer. He just, you know, he got his chance at Washington, and he made the most of it. That's not a, nothing against him, but it is different. It is a different scenario, and I think they're going to have to win in a different way unless DeBoer just comes out and hires this incredible staff. But he's bringing a lot of these guys with him yeah. that don't know the SEC. And I just remember over the last two, like about two years ago, we were talking about Brian Harson and this staff coming over, and they're not the same hire. They are not. I see a lot of Auburn people poking fun saying, Liz, it's not the same hire. But we made excuses saying like, oh, well, you know, he'll bring in a staff that knows how to recruit. And, and, and you can't do that. You can't do that, especially when Kirby Smart is able to visit all of these high schools and Hugh Freeze is willing to visit all of these high schools and Brian Kelly is going everywhere. You can't do that. Your head coach has to be involved and they have to know the landscape. And to me, I think that's going to be the biggest part of all of this for Alabama's head coach. I agree. And... I understand that this is a small sample size that I'm about to give you, but um, it does sort of it, it backs up your point. If you raise the concern that his recruiting period is a concern, then I'm going to give you this item of information to back that up. All right. The uh, industry football team rankings from on three for the 2024 recruiting class have Washington as the 41st ranked class in the country. Behind such football powerhouses as Kansas, Vanderbilt, Rutgers, Minnesota, Georgia Tech, Stanford, and nine spots behind UCF. Their recruiting class was worse in 2024, according to the rankings, according to the metrics, than it was in 2023 after a wildly successful first season at Washington. Mm -hmm. um, again, small sample size. But I, hate, I hate this point <laughs> that, that's forming, right? And, and everything you said is correct. But recruiting at Washington, it's going to be harder to get into the top 30 than it is at Alabama. I mean, he could, right. be the head, he could call somebody once a day and they'll finish in the yeah. top 15 in Alabama just because of what's what's been built. Granted, I'm not saying Alabama's going to have 41st-ranked recruiting classes. but Boy, before, what if they did, man? That'd be insane. But before he got to Washington, Zach, they got top 25 classes. Yeah. Washington's last three or four classes before he took over as the head coach were in the 20s. They mm -hmm. were in the 30s last year and now the 40s according to this ranking. Now, you know, 247 has them low 30s, and but last year they were high 30s. And, you know, it, it – there's some variance between 30s and 40s, but that's about where where they were. In mm -hmm. other words, it's not like he came to Washington and dramatically improved their recruiting. You're right. He has built-in advantages being in Tuscaloosa than he than he had being in Seattle. But right. this this narrative that well, you know, and and I heard it from guys we work with and respect a great deal. Well, you know who else had to learn to to recruit in the SEC? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer had to learn to recruit in the SEC. And Nick Saban had to learn to recruit in the SEC when he went from Michigan State to LSU. Sure. Of, right. There's a list of 100 guys, though, that had to learn to recruit in the SEC and didn't. 
-hmm. So if you want to bank it on the, the, the exception, if your expectation becomes based on the exception, again, fine with me if, if that's what their expectation is going to be going forward. Down here in reality, that just ain't how it works. If you had to predict right now, is all is is Alabama in the SEC championship game in twenty twenty four? No, I think they are. I Ooh. think they are. I think the talent's good enough, and I think he's going to be able to make it work with I all do, the guys leaving. You think they'll still have enough? Yeah, because they haven't lost like premier starters. They've they've lost some role players and some starters and, and some guys that you know they would certainly want to hold on to, but. I, uh, yeah, I mean, unless there's this mass exodus after spring when we see this second transfer window, which we might yeah. see, we might see that. Uh, I'm, I'm just not expecting that to happen. I, I think the roster is still a top five roster in college football. And I think, regardless of if it's, if it's Milrow or some other quarterback that they bring in, I think he's going to be effective in this offense. Yeah. And I think the key to this is Grubbs, the offensive coordinator, which I don't know why Washington didn't hire him to be the OC or from the OC to, to be the, their head coach. But that's a different topic for a different day. Because they knew they could get Jed Fish. And so I'm not yeah. sure that's better, but sure. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm, high on, I'm high on Grubbs. So yeah. and him being, I assume he'll be the play caller for Alabama next year. And if that's the case, like, I think, I think this, I mean, Alabama, if I had to, if I had to pick right now, I think Alabama wins at least 10 games in 2024, and that gives you a shot in a 12-team playoff. I think their schedule next year is a lot tougher than it was in 2023 with games at Oklahoma, at LSU, at Tennessee, Georgia so, at home. They're at Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and this year, you have to beat 14 other teams to get to the SEC championship, not just six to win a division and get there. Yeah, but I mean the the six that they're used to beating are the six better teams. I don't I don't think like who who from the East is going to impact that other than Georgia. Like, well, I don't I mean, think anybody. And no, they play but, you, but adding Texas and Oklahoma into the mix, if you had put one of those teams in the West, then you can make like if you had if you had I put gotcha. Texas in the West and Oklahoma in the East, then that's another powerhouse that you have to tie. I just I think it's much harder to beat 14 teams now to get to the SEC championship. That's good. And that's the case for anybody. I mean, it's you know, that's numbers. I was asked on the radio this morning, what happens if Alabama goes eight and four? In 2024. And I'm like, they're not going to go eight and four. That's ridiculous. And then they're like, well, it could. Their schedule's tougher. And so I'm like, okay, of these games, like, do they lose to Georgia in Bryant Denny next year? I don't know. It's possible. Do they lose, yeah. do they lose it at, at Wisconsin? I don't think so. I don't think they'll lose to Wisconsin on the road. Could be wrong, but I don't think so. Do they lose at Tennessee next year? Maybe, but right now, if I had to pick, I'm probably taking Alabama. Missouri goes to Tuscaloosa. How do we feel about that? Like, I don't think Missouri's going to win in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Do they go They go to LSU after a bye week? That one could be a toss-up just because that game's crazy. And then at Oklahoma, I'm not as high on Oklahoma as some people are, so I'm, I'm picking Alabama in that game. And then the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa, um, we'll see. We'll see on that one. But right now, if I had to pick that game, I would say that Alabama wins it. So I, I just don't see more than two losses on this schedule yeah. for Alabama. And I know it's so fun to pick at Alabama when, when they, when they're vulnerable. Yeah. But I just, I don't see them not being an elite team. 
Yeah, I I think that there's reason. I, I think it's logical to expect that it's not an immediate drop off. But I think they've had a little bit of an edge over the last 16 years. Just because I mean, granted, it's not just because of this, but you know, teams have acted differently when they've played Alabama for the last decade and a half. Sure. Like they, they lose the game before they ever step on the field. I don't think that exists with this current coaching staff. I'll and give you that. I, I don't I just don't think that exists. I think that other teams carry an understanding that it's a vulnerable program yeah. onto the field. They don't yeah. give up two touchdowns just because of the, you know, because there's a number on the side of a crimson helmet and that's it. Right. So. Like the old school Yankees, they're always looking at the pinstripes. Yeah. Right. I get it. I yeah. get it. Uh, Brad, Auburn landed uh, a defensive back in the portal that I think is a day one starter. Let's talk mm -hmm. about him in just a moment. This is Village Vice. So uh, no matter where you go, you will not find a better place to wager on all of your sports action than my bookie.ag. It does not exist, Brad. There's not a better place. No. There's not a better place. Doesn't matter if you want to go with spreads, player props, money lines, parlays. Doesn't matter what it is. MyBookie.ag has you covered. And right now, our listeners, if you use promo code next round, next round, when you make that deposit, you get extra money to bet with. I don't know how my bookie is staying afloat with this incredible offer, but that's what they've told us to say. So check out our friends at mybookie.ag and use promo code next round. Jaron Thompson, the former Texas safety. And this is an experienced guy. This is yeah. a high level defensive back uh, that played well against Alabama this, uh, this season for Texas. He's uh, he's transferring and now a part of the Auburn Tigers defense. And this is a guy that's coming in at a position group where Auburn is a little thin. I think the talent is certainly there, but it's just a lot of inexperienced talent. Well, Jaron Thompson comes in and he offers a ridiculous amount of experience, not only at safety, but also as a guy who can play in the box, as well as the guy who played a lot of slot corner this past season. Listed at six feet, 191. So decent size there for the secondary. Um, <clears throat> four seasons at Texas, 105 tackles. Five interceptions. Um, let's see. Last year, 38 tackles, three interceptions, a career high. And one of those was a pick six. In their most recent game, he had three tackles in the Sugar Bowl against Washington. And, uh, yeah, four tackles and an interception against Alabama, as, as you mentioned earlier this year. So, yeah. I, again, it's another depth piece. You bring in the number one JUCO safety in the class. Keontae Scott is back. Donovan Kaufman is back. Jaron Thompson is in the mix. You got some young guys in there as well. Um, I, I think this becomes, not just because of this addition, but I think all of a sudden you start to look at the totality of your room and really like the the depth and the talent that you have there. I think so. And, and we talked about this a little bit you know, with Percy Lewis being the offensive tackle that comes in. Yeah. He's good because it's an upgraded left tackle, but then it allows you to slot guys over a little bit. So Dylan Wade now can scoot in. He's an upgraded guard. I think you can say a similar thing with this, where I think um, I think Jaron Thompson is an upgraded safety, but then also it then that makes your backup safety significantly better, and you can play three or four of these safeties all of a sudden 
And you also can play him at nickel, which was a little thin too, depending on what they do with Keontae Scott. And everything kind of falls in line a little bit better. And I just feel so much better about this room now. It's amazing what this one piece did. And I do think there's more pieces coming for this defensive back room, specifically at corner. We'll hold our breath and see what happens with that over the next few days. But yeah, this defensive back room, it was a strength a year ago. And despite losing three guys to the NFL, maybe four, we'll see what Zion Puckett does, but losing DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson, all of a sudden you've reloaded. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, Jaron Thompson is a stopgap because now when you look behind him, you'll see a Sylvester Smith and a Tyler Scott and a Colton Hood yeah. and a Kay and Lee. And it's like, wow, this is what depth actually looks like and solid recruiting looks like a few years after you flip all of these key guys. So uh, I think it's big. I think it's big. And we're, we're starting to see the wheels in motion as far as what Hugh Freeze and the staff have been trying to do now with uh, now that they've had two signing days. And as we've been talking about, there's been this this change in uh, offensive uh, philosophy throughout. You've got to have depth and versatility in your secondary. If you're going to play teams that don't substitute a whole bunch, you got to have guys who are able to do different things. And you need bodies if you're you know if you're playing teams that go up tempo and um, you, you just have guys who are able to do more who have a, a wider skill set than they might have 20 years ago. And um, that's why you love to see the build, particularly yeah. in the secondary. That's right. That's right. Um, you want to you want to jump into some off-season chatter after you give some love to our friends? I do, yes. Uh, and there's plenty of off-season chatter. And if there's plenty of some other stuff that you want to get rid of, uh, then I got to tell you about Manscaped.com. Our friends at Manscaped are the very best in men's grooming. And, you know, uh, you want to tidy up your clean shave guys before, you know, you, you draft your way to redemption next season. I'm talking to the fantasy football players who mm. maybe didn't do so well. Uh, Manscaped is the ultimate franchise player. If you want to take your face to the end zone and who doesn't want to take your face to the end zone, do it with the new beard hedger pro kit. All right. This package makes it a lot easier than ever to craft your signature look. It is a premium beard sculpting machine. It's got the Beard Hedger cordless trimmer, one guard, 20 different lengths, and it's waterproof. So no more drawers full of 20 different guards. Shower shave as much as your heart desires. Uh, to check out that and all of the fantastic products at Manscaped, go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code VICE to get 20% off and free shipping. We're hearing from many of you every day. Somebody new tells us, we tried Manscaped. We love it. We will never go back. Use that promo code VICE for 20% off and free shipping. Brad, now that the offseason seems like the first two waves are done. You had the early portal window, and now classes are back. You're seeing Auburn football drop, you know, little snippets of Hugh Freeze talking to his team, welcoming everybody back, talking about how 2024 could be a special year. It's not done. And I think we're going to see kind of some last minute guys um, join this team because you've got like until tomorrow, I believe Wednesday, to enroll in classes. So you could go through spring at Auburn. And I imagine it's similar everywhere. So we'll, we'll see kind of some last minute additions. But it's almost done. Yeah. How would you grade how Auburn performed with everything? And we've got a few more additions that I believe are coming, as well as some coordinator hires that are probably pretty close to being announced, Brad. So 
I mean, up to this point, with everything that we're able to talk about as we record this Tuesday morning, how would you grade this? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I think very well, and I think people would predict that I would think that Auburn did very well uh -huh. in uh, in the off season to go back to one of the opening points of the show. But I think part of the reason is what we just talked about: offensive line. You've added a couple of pieces there that can either slide in and start right away, or at like worst case scenario, they add depth at one of the two or three most critical positions on your team. Agreed. You, yeah. you, you've done the same thing in the secondary. Um, in the portal window, you added a wide receiver or two that could, you know, maybe those guys start, maybe they're significant, maybe they're depth pieces um, as you bring these young guys in. I think there's still some question marks out there, uh, truthfully, here in the offseason. We, we've still got to see where the coordinators land and how the staff shakes out. Um, but, you know, there, there are other schools elsewhere that are still waiting to see where their staffs shake out. So I don't think you're behind in that regard. So um, defensive line, still want to see if if anything is added there. That's mm -hmm. another critical piece. You know, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line. You, you got to have it there mm -hmm. if you want to be, you know, if you want to beat those 14 other teams for a spot in the SEC championship game. Um, that's where you got to be really strong. And so I still think maybe you have a question there on the defensive line. But, yeah, at, at other spots, I think Auburn is in really good shape. Brian Batiste saying he's going to come back so your your running back room stays intact. Yeah. I, I think that's a major plus for the Tigers as well. Yeah. Defensive line seems to be a room where it's like this coaching staff just said, you know what, it's okay, we, we may go young. Here, we may play guys a little earlier than would be ideal, but long term, it'll uh, it'll work out. So, which I don't think is a and, bad move. And, and I know, think Malik Blockton and Philip Lindsay and those guys are going to be ready to go pretty early. And you do, you know, and you did bring in a couple of the guy from Kansas, the guy from Texas that can play that that have played and can play and again be those pieces uh, with experience. And we'll yeah, we'll Gage Keys from from Kansas, Trill Carter from yeah. uh, from Texas. Yeah. So, so it's not like you did nothing at those spots. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know for sure. You, you, you're not looking at those guys. Going, yep. Day one starter. There you are right there at the at worst. They provided depth. Yeah. And I'm just curious where the production comes from, from a pass rush standpoint. Like you lose Marcus Harris and there's not a guy on the roster that can do what Marcus Harris did mm -hmm. unless you wanted to try to move Keldrick Falk inside, I think. But then you don't want to give that up. But also like you do that and you feel good about Amaris Williams, do you scoot Keldrick in to put Amaris at defensive end and just start him and deal with their growing pains? I don't know. I think that's going to be a puzzle that they're going to work on through spring. I wouldn't be shocked if they add another defensive lineman or two via the portal um, after spring. But outside of that, that's really the only position group that I'm like concerned about. So yeah. um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I agree. But, but yeah, I think it's been a successful offseason so far. And for the folks, the Auburn folks that are going to comment and say, well, it's not successful because we didn't upgrade a quarterback. Um, sorry. I'm like, I, unless something crazy happens, Peyton Thorne is a quarterback next year. Hate to break it to you. Yeah. And, and we've discussed it so much and we will discuss it more because we still have so far to go before the season starts. Yeah. I, I think if you change the receiving core a little bit and you go ahead and slide into that RPO identity earlier in the season, I think the numbers look different, and I think the fan base's confidence in the quarterback is much higher. 
Yeah. That bolt, man, you take that bowl game and you just, you wrap it up in a, in a hefty bag and you toss it right out. How many other bowl games are we paying attention to and basing expectations for next year off of what happened in a bowl game? We, we, we're not. So we're not. Right. Brad, I think that about does it for, uh, for today's show. It does. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And remember, everyone has vices. Make sure Village Vice is one of yours. Oh, 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 oh,